All right, there we go. Well, um, we are here and doing what we do, and it is uh, always exciting um, to be able to, to gather together. Um, if it's your first time here, then welcome. My name is Mac Gervais. I'm lead pastor here for City West Church. We are brand new doing a work here in West Houston. And uh, our mission here at City West is that we're lighting the way for diverse people to find unity in Christ. We look around this city, this great city of Houston, the most diverse city in the United States, um, with all the nations that are here um, across all kinds of economic groups. And uh, there's a lot of things in the world that would push us towards disunity, but we believe that true unity is found when, we are uh, when we're all in Christ and pushing towards that. So that's what we're doing. That's what we're trying to share uh, with people in the gospel. That being said, last week we started a new sermon series called Move, and uh, today is an interesting day because it's family worship. We have kids in here where normally they would be off doing their own thing, and so I have uh, I have promised um, that uh, because we have kids in the room, I'm not going to preach as long as I normally do, um, and so uh, I have my timer set. I'm ready to go. Um, we're going to take communion as well here today, and so uh, it's going to be exciting. But this sermon move, uh, where we have up and out, which are oftentimes three very common motions or movements that we talk about in how we're supposed to operate. Um, oftentimes, it is uh, when we have when we have this conversation, it's done through a very me-centered lens. And so, part of our goal as we walk through this series is to um, broaden our scope and understanding of what it means to move closer to God, uh, to move in the calling that God has for us in our life. Um, and so last week we were looking in the book of Exodus and we were seeing in Exodus chapter 33 when Moses uh, is talking with God on the mountainside and God says, because of their disobedience, I'm going to send you up uh, into the promised land, but I'm not going to go with you. And Moses ultimately says, look, if you're not going with us, then I'm not going. It doesn't really matter. And this idea of how we gauge ministry success that literally God lays before Moses and subsequently the nation of Israel, I will give you everything. You can go into the promised land. You can have the land of milk and honey. You can have all the things that you've ever wanted, but my presence isn't going with you. And Moses makes the point that what is the point of a land filled with milk and honey if I don't have the presence of God? And so we really challenged each, each other in this idea that like our ministry success isn't on or, or our success in life as we're pursuing God isn't in having external things. You could have a million people on a Sunday, but if the presence of God isn't in the center of what you're doing, then it doesn't really matter. And so today we're actually staying in the Old Testament as we walk through this uh, move. So we have the context of what it means to move in God, uh, to move in his calling with his presence in the center. And this week we're going to be talking about this concept of going up. This movement up in drawing near to God. And so if you have your Bible, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, we'll be looking at the first 15 verses of this passage. I'm going to read it um, all. It's also on the screen. Um, but I'm going to read it for us here and then we're going to dive into things. It says, now this is the commandment that the statutes and rules of the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God and you and your son and your son's son by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be long. 
Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. Let's pray. God, we thank you just for this day. And as we are here in your word, uh, God, we ask that you would illuminate your truth to us. Help us to have understanding that leads us to have transformed lives outside of this place. We want to move deeper in our knowledge, understanding, and relationship with you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There is ultimately in life uh, moments where you get to a place and the question is, what now? You know, you get there and it's like, okay, so what do we do? I felt this way in particular when I left my home uh, in my, after, for my freshman year of college. I went off to Belmont University in Nashville, Tennessee, which is a big Christian music slash country music uh, uh, business school. A lot of the top artists and things like that are there. A lot of artists have recorded in their recording studios. Uh, it, you know, There's always uh, some uh, celebrity that's on campus uh, playing ultimate frisbee with college students and doing master classes, all that kind of stuff. And I was in the music stuff adjacent, all that kind of stuff. And so I remember walking through all of that and I get off to college. I mean, me and my mom, my brother went to school there. We're going to be roommates. So my mom drives us a thousand miles to Nashville, Tennessee, the 12 and a half, 13 hour drive that it is. Uh, drop us off. We had our freshman orientation called Towering Traditions and we're learning all the stuff and we do all these things and Towering Tradition ends and school is about to start. And I remember just kind of sitting there that first day that I wake up and it's like, so what do I, what do I do now? Uh, most people don't realize this college is incredibly easy. And, um, I know that college students don't necessarily think that it is, but it is, um, when you get older and you realize how little 
responsibility you had uh, throughout the day. I mean, if you're a full-time student, you're taking 15, 16 hours a week. Uh, each class, if it's a Monday, Wednesday, Friday, meets for 50 minutes. So from 9 to 9.50, then you'll get like a 10 to 10.50, take a little break, and then somewhere around 1 or 2 o'clock, a 2 to 2.50. That's 150 minutes out of the day that you're required to be somewhere. And then the rest of those 24 hours is just yours to do whatever. And you can join clubs, you can sleep in, you can play uh, Xbox or PlayStation uh, against your buddies, you can get into trouble. When I was a, a freshman and we were at uh, Belmont, our campus was overrun with squirrels. And so it was me, my brother, and a third roommate, Mark, uh, living in this dorm. And we used to coordinate like we were, you know, animals, like lions. And we were always trying to hunt and kill a squirrel. Um, and uh, we were doing it like primitive. So we had like cleats. And so uh, we were chasing the squirrel from like we'd grab positions and things like that and try to chase a squirrel into a kill spot. Kill spot. But what else am I supposed to do? I don't have anything to do with most of my day. And so there was this constant question, like, what do I do? And in many ways, the nation of Israel is preparing to go into the promised land. And there's this whole idea. It's like, yeah, we're going to get to the land of milk and honey. What do we do once we get here? How do we continue to grow in our relationship with God? How do we continue to grow nearer in our intimacy and upward with him? And so Moses, as he's preparing the people, lays out for them what it ultimately looks like as they're navigating life in the promised land to pursue God. And so very briefly here today. I just want us to look at three things that we should do as we navigate life, much like the Israelites had to do as they were going into the promised land. So the first is this, is that as we navigate through life, we must first pursue him completely. We must pursue or seek him completely. What do we mean by this? The first three verses of this particular passage are interesting because ultimately Moses lays out like a, a, a kind of a, a blueprint for what it looks like to draw near to God. It's often something that we look over, we skip over, but it, it, it's very important. When he's talking about the commandments and the statutes um, of how they're supposed to go into the land, in verse 2, he's talking, telling them to fear the Lord, but not just for them to fear the Lord. In verse 2, he says that your sons should fear the Lord, you know, and your sons' sons should ultimately understand the statutes of what's going on. And then in verse 3, he addresses the nation as a whole, and he says that I need for all of you to hear Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And so we ultimately see the three areas in our life that we are ultimately supposed to grow and pursue God. Look at this. Pursuing God can't be less than your own personal holiness in relationship with God. What do I mean by that? It, it, like, it, it is at least your own relationship with him. But it's not less. It's not less than that, but it's more than that. So you pursue God individually. 
Moses is addressing the people and he's saying, like, these are the commandments. This is the word of God that you need to follow, that you need to go after. You know, so like like it's it's about your relationship with him. And don't get me wrong. You actually have to have a relationship with God. You actually have to seek God. You actually have to be in his word. You have to hide his word in your heart. You have to uh, pursue God's will. You have to know the presence of God and who he is and seek the Holy Holy Spirit, like this is something that you have to do, but he doesn't just say you do it. He says your sons and your son's sons. And so what we ultimately see is that we have to not just pursue God as individuals, but we individuals, but we have to pursue God in our families. We have values here um, and all of them start with gospel centered. And one of our core values at City West Church, you know, we have gospel-centered proclamation, you know, gospel-centered, like proclaiming God's word. We have gospel-centered impact. We're supposed to have an impact in our community, uh, but it's supposed to ultimately, you know, be gospel-centered. We're not just doing humanitarian work for the sake of doing humanitarian work, but we do those things um, uh, because the gospel compels us to do it, right? But one of our values is gospel-centered families, that our families would be oriented around the Lord. That our families would be oriented in the so far as that we are seeking Him. Not just as individuals, but our children would know the Lord. That our children's children would know the Lord. My grandma came to Christ as the first Christian in our family. Uh, in Haiti, she was uh, uh, her, her dad, uh, so my great great grandfather, I think that's right, was a voodoo priest. And my grandma was the first Christian in our family and also in the city in Haiti that she came from. And, and look at what we have. We went from a voodoo priest, literally a witch doctor, to the first believer, then to my mom, who's in the room and a believer, and then to me and my brother, who are believers, and now I'm a preacher of the gospel. We went from preaching voodoo and witchcraft to preaching the gospel. But this is what we need to understand, is that we have to have a multi generational view of God's faithfulness and movement and pursuit of him. It's not just about you, but to your children and your children's children and your children's children's children that we would see from generation to generation that there, that our families would pursue and seek God. So it's not just enough for you to seek God, but your prayer and the way that you move upward is that your family would seek God. But it's not just that. Because seeking God isn't just about you as an individual or you as a family. But in verse 3, when he addresses the nation, it's about the entire community of faith. That's why to pursue God but to be disconnected from the local church body is to not really pursue God. Because it is impossible to experience the fullness of what God has for you apart from covenant community. So in that, we see Moses address the individual. We see Moses address the family. We see Moses address the community of faith, the nation of Israel. And so when we pursue him, we have to pursue him completely. It's not just enough for you to seek God by yourself. It's important for you to ultimately see him as a community. So our pursuit of God encompasses the individual and the community of faith. That's the whole point. If you take anything away from today's message, take that. It's the individual and in the community of faith. That's where this pursuit of God and when we're moving upward, we have to begin to address how we move upward in all three of these areas of our lives. 
How are you pursuing God and drawing near to him as an individual? How are you pursuing God and seeking him as a family? How are you then pursuing God and seeking him as a, in, within the body of Christ in the covenant faith community? It's not less than individual ho- holiness, but it's also more than your individual walk with God. So the first thing that we see is that we pursue him completely. The second thing, moving like a uh, right along, is that we worship him in truth. We worship him in truth. What do we mean when we say worship him in truth? It's interesting as we get to verse 4 where he says, Hear the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk uh, uh, of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be frontlets between your eyes or before your eyes. So we see all of these areas where uh, ultimately God is telling us about himself. So the first thing is that there's a tangible distinction that God gives about himself. The first thing that he does is he tells them, look, I am one. I am the Lord your God and this is who I am. It's not who you want me to be. It's not who the world says I am, but you need to worship me as I have revealed myself to you. And there's a lot of people that ultimately want God to be who they want him to be. But the reality is, is that if the God that you worship is the God that you've created, then that's not the God who's revealed himself in Scripture. And that's the difficult part. I remember having a conversation not too long ago with somebody. Uh, and and I'm, I'm sharing the gospel. Where they're asking me questions about the faith. And they just go, "Would the, do you think that Jesus would respond like this to in blank? And, and so I begin to give an understanding of the gospel and the response to this cultural issue that they're asking. And I gave an answer that they didn't really particularly like. And they looked back at me and said, well, I think that my Jesus would do this. And I remember walking out of that conversation and just kind of processing. Like, I'm, like, like our responsibility when we're understanding Jesus is to teach him and preach him as he revealed himself to be. The difficult thing is that sometimes, if we're really honest with ourselves, how God revealed himself to be isn't the way that we like him to be. And the goal ultimately isn't for us to syncretize and change the message of who God is to our cultural sensibilities, but it's to accept God for how he has revealed himself and to humble ourselves before him. See, if we tailor God to what we like, then that puts us above him. But when we accept God for how he's revealed himself to be, it means that we're submitting to him. And so as you navigate through life, ultimately, you have to do this. You have to ultimately read the scriptures and accept and seek God for who he says he is. And then ultimately teach who he says he is. And you pursue who he said he is with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, everything that's within you. You love him and you pursue him and you talk about it at the dinner table. And you talk about it wherever you go. 
It ought to be annoying to you. It ought to be annoying to you. You know, here's the thing. Uh, there's a particular kind of fan in Texas that uh, drives me insane. And I, I know that I'm offend some people in the room. It's cowboy fans. Y'all are the worst. Uh, but here's the thing that I appreciate about cowboy fans is, uh, uh, is that they, they're loyal. Here's the thing about a cowboy fan. You know they're a cowboy fan. This is all they talk about. They're incredibly optimistic. I remember a couple seasons ago after uh, uh, it wasn't Dak Prescott. It was it was when uh, it was when Tony Romo got hurt and the backup quarterback was uh, Kitna, and, and uh, this journeyman, super old uh, quarterback, not particularly good. And I remember listening to the local ESPN radio station, and somebody calls in, and they're just like, "If the Cowboys can just rally around Kitna, then we'll be able to turn this series around." It's like I love your confidence that some uh, trash quarterback. You're like, "Yeah, if we just rally around him," but that I talk about it everywhere. They wear the stuff. And look, I'm married into a cowboy family, so you know it is what it is come Thanksgiving. I always have to watch that, uh, that, that, that game. And this is like the first year in a while that they're legitimately good. And I'm like, good for y'all. You know, like, good for you. But here's the thing, though. Everywhere that they go, they talk about it. And they talk about the glory years. Don't they? When Johnson was the coach. They talk about the glory years. When, when uh, Emmett Smith was running, when, uh, when uh, Troy Aikman was throwing, when Michael Irvin was receiving, when Deion Sanders was D'ing everybody up. And then, you know, there's been a drought, and there was early Romo. He had some good highs, and now they're excited. Dak Prescott, Dak, that's my boy Dak. Dak, we 5-7-1 or whatever it is. You know, like, like, like they, but here's the thing. When you're a fan, they talk about the great things that their team has done every single place that they go. And so it's hard. I mean, you might not know if somebody is a Bengals fan, but you know a Cowboys fan when you see them. And here's the truth that needs to be understood. As you pursue God, you understand him as who he is. You ultimately uh, 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 pursue that and love that with all that you are. And you talk about it every single way where that you go. And that ultimately is worship. Worship is to know God. To love God as he's revealed himself and to celebrate his great work. That goes beyond singing songs. That's literally how you live your life every single day. As you wake up to pursue him and to worship him in truth. And the great part about it is that when it goes everywhere that you go is when you're talking about God. Then that means that you pursue God and you open yourself up to, he, to, to all of you. There's not an area of your life that you reserve for yourself. There's a gospel song called Withholding Nothing. It says, I surrender all to you. I surrender all to you, withholding nothing. And that's what it ultimately comes down in every area of my life. God, I'm giving it to you. I'm going to worship you in truth. To worship God in truth is to allow yourself to be fully exposed before him and for his glory. We talked about his glory last, last week. That is literally all of his goodness and his name. That's what passed before Moses when he asked God, show me your glory. God says, fine, all of my goodness and my name will pass before you. And so when we allow the glory of God, all of his goodness and his name to be, to be exposed to every area of our life, then we are worshiping him in truth. Lastly is this, and I'll be quick. As we navigate through life, we must continuously remember his goodness. We must continuously or always remember his goodness. In the last few verses of this, I won't go back and read it all uh, for the sake of time. But I'll say this, is that ultimately we see that he says, when you get into the land, 
and you are in houses and cities that you didn't build. And you're eating food from trees that you didn't plant. And you're experiencing the freedom that you didn't win on your own. Never forget that it was God who did it. And then he offers a warning of what happens when you forget that it was God and you begin to think that it was yourself. But ultimately, the, the, the point is, is that if you're always putting before you the goodness of God, then you won't forget that it was God that brought you to where you are. And we say this all the time, but when you think about the goodness of God, it leads you to thank him for what he's done. When you think about what God has done, it leads you to thankfulness and gratefulness. And it ultimately then leads you to live your life in light of what he has done. Don't forget that it is God that ultimately has brought you to where you are. And don't forget that it is God who has won all the things that you have done. Don't forget that it is God that has blessed you with everything that you have in your life. It is because of God that you have breath in your body. It's because of God that you have clothes on your back. It's because of God that you have a roof over your head. It's because of God that you have the freedom that you have. It's because of God that you've been able to make it for as long as you've made it. It is by the grace of God. And Moses is telling the people on behalf of God, don't forget when you're going into the promised land that it was God that gave you everything that you were because you were once slaves in Egypt. You were once under the iron fist of Pharaoh. You were once making bricks and building his kingdom. But because God had grace upon you, he rescued you from darkness and placed you into freedom and has brought you through the wilderness into a promised land. And look, we're not the nation of Israel, but we do understand this. Before you introduce, you were introduced to the glory of God, you were dead in sin. You were stuck in your ways. You were objects of wrath, as the Bible says. You were destined to separation from God, but because of his goodness, all of his goodness, and his name coming before you, the name of Jesus, the only name that saves, the only name that breaks the power and bondage of sin, because of the name of Jesus, and you crying out to him, you've been saved. And Colossians tells us that you've been rescued from the kingdom of darkness and placed into the kingdom of light. And so you've had all these things. So never forget, church, that it's God that has brought you to where you are. And you ought to continuously and always remember the goodness of God as you navigate through life. Because if you remember the goodness of God, then you will ultimately live a life that is pursuing him and seeking him in intimacy. I say this, when I was a freshman in college, I'll end with this. I was, when I was a freshman in college, I was playing intramural basketball. I was hooping, doing my thing. Uh, my team was, we were on our way into the playoffs, and uh, we were one of the best teams, so we're going to win. And I was point guard, doing my thing. I could hoop. I could shoot. That was my thing. I was a small point guard that could shoot. I was real fast, doing my thing. And so we're playing intramural basketball. It was great. There was a loose ball, and I remember uh, lunging out for a loose ball. We are playing this team that was really bad, and there was, you know, there's like the awkward guy uh, that's like real clunky in sports. Like, bro, you know you can't get that ball, but you're just going to go and barrel yourself into somebody anyway. And so I remember this dude hits me. Uh, and uh, when I had the ball, he was coming from way behind. I don't know why he thought he could get it. But as he ran into me, it knocked me down. And I remember landing on the ground and kind of like sliding out. As I uh, uh, tried to get up, I remember that it was weird because like four of my fingers were on the ground, but I couldn't feel my pinky. And so when I looked down, my pinky was facing me. Um, 
it's not supposed to do that. It's supposed to face the ground. It was just looking back at me. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. And then the pain came in. And uh, my brother, who was watching the intramural game at the time, he's, he's just watching. He just yells time out. Somebody's like, you're not playing. You can't yell time out. He's like, boy, time out. And so uh, my brother uh, runs into the court, picks me up. Uh, I start to writhe in pain. He takes me in his car, rushes me to Vanderbilt Hospital. I'm sitting in the ER for three hours hours with my pinky facing the wrong way, uh, which was terrible. Eventually they uh, flip it, they stick it in an x-ray, which was the worst because they had to press that thing down uh, before they did it. And then finally they turned it the other way. It turns that the bottom bone in my hand, uh, my pinky was shattered in like six or seven pieces. I had to have surgery to put the whole thing back together. Uh, and it was awful. I remember going into surgery and coming out and then it's in a cast and my pinky is stuck straight like this. Now here's the part that got interesting is that after I finally got my cast taken off six weeks later, I actually had to spend like six weeks in rehab learning how to use my pinky again because it couldn't bend. And I would sit there in rehab for like an hour and it would take me an hour to bend my pinky down and then uh, like 30 minutes to bring it down and then 30 minutes to bring it all the way up. And that was rehab. And they're like, practice pinky exercises. And like, I would just keep practicing pinky exercise. And here's the thing, as a pianist, it's kind of crazy when you can't, use your pinky like like it, there's so many things and it's crazy because like what ultimately happened I need you to understand this is because I didn't use my pinky for a long time it began to atrophy there began to be deterioration in the muscles in my pinky because it hadn't been used and ultimately I had to learn to exercise it again and build strength again when we forget to f be thankful for God and his work in our life, it leads to a spiritual atrophy in our lives. And ultimately then, the work of growing nearer to him in, in, involves enduring pain, learning to remember the faithfulness and the goodness of God over and over and over and over again. The warning that Moses gives the people is when you get into the promised land, don't atrophy in your faith and your nearness to God because there's only pain headed for you when you forget what God has done. Let's pray.